So I've always had uh, I've always had this love for apologetics, um, and if you don't know what apologetics is, I'm not going to give you like a long definition, but it's basically defending the faith. It's help. It's giving reasons for why you believe the things that that you believe, and often when you're doing apologetics, you're actually giving reasons for why you believe things that are contrary to what the world believes. So a lot of apologetics is talking about uh, the existence of God or the problem of evil or why do we trust the Bible or creation versus evolution, all, all things like that. And so I've always, I've always been a wrestler. I've always struggled with truth. I, I, I don't want to believe something unless I know that it's true. And so I've wanted to study these things. And way back before podcasts were even a thing, I was downloading debates and listening to them as I was driving to different doc jobs. And, and, and I would actually go to debates. This is how much of a nerd I was. I would go sit at a debate and listen to people talk about these things. And you know, there was one debate that I went to with a close friend of mine about 10 years ago that stands out in my mind. And um, it doesn't stand out in my mind because it was a good debate, but it stand, stood out in my mind just because of how things went down. Um, it was a debate that was organized on the campus of the University of Minnesota by the Atheists Club. And so it was a, an atheist debating a Christian, and I don't remember the exact topic, um, I, it was, somebody had written a book, I think, Is Christianity Good for the World or something like that. And so I think it was kind of on that topic. But the fact that the debate was organized by the Atheists Club kind of gave you a hint that as a Christian going there, you were going to be the significant major, minority. And uh, the debate wasn't very good. The, the, the Christian guy who was debating wasn't very prepared. He was kind of stumbling over things and... Um, and it was, it got really frustrating because even the moderator was like, not, it was like arguing with him. It was like him against the moderator and his debate partner and against the whole crowd. And people were like yelling things from the floor in the middle of the debate. And, uh, it just, it was not good. And then at the end of a debate like that, what often happens is, they'll have some mics set up across the room and people from the crowd can come up and ask questions to the, to the debaters. And that's actually when things just completely went out of control. People didn't go up to the mic. Usually you go up to the mic and you kind of wait in line, you ask your question, you go sit down, you let the person talk. Um, people just started screaming from their seats at the guy, at the Christian guy, calling him names, yelling at him, just arguing with him. And, and every time he would try to say something, he would get interrupted. He never had a chance to even speak or, or say anything. They were just angry at him. And at one point, I mean, this had been going on for like two hours. I mean, it had been going on for a long time. And the guy was, you could just see he was frustrated, hopeless. He just didn't know what to do. And uh, somebody kind of got up and yelled like, give me one example of how an atheistic worldview is, is, is going to hurt culture. Uh, you know, the guy's kind of in a bind, right? He's been just attacked for two hours. He didn't really know what to say. And, and so he held up a book about Hitler and Nazi Germany, which was based on an atheistic worldview. That it was an actual answer to the question. Um, but when he held up the book, like, it, the whole crowd, I mean, it was like 500 people. It just 
exploded. They all stood out of their seats and were screaming. And sh- I mean, it was just, I've never seen anything like it. I just know my friend and I looked at each other and were like, we're just getting out of here. It was like, got out, snuck out, snuck out the back door. And, and as we were walking out the back door, his eyes were like this big. And he's like, ah, it felt like we were surrounded by demons. And, and the reason he said that is because we were in this environment where you could just feel a hatred of the truth. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't even that they just disagreed with the guy. They weren't even trying to argue with him. They weren't even trying to make a debate. It just, he said things and they hated it. And, and that was just the core. And, and the reality is, that was 10 years ago, and I would say... Ten years later, it's probably gotten worse. And, and the reason I bring that up, because this is, this is what Jesus is addressing in, in our passage this morning. And, and, and as we start to dive into the passage, I, I want us to understand, uh, I want us to understand the tension that's in this passage. Because um, you've probably felt this over the last few weeks of uh, preaching through the Gospel of John, that that the further we get into John, especially for the next like four chapters, so just buckle in, tension keeps getting more and more and more, right? And the intensity between this conflict between Jesus and the Jewish people is getting bigger. The intensity just keeps growing and growing and growing. And, and we start to see Jesus say things that we would for one, that we would never say. And two, Jesus says things that we would never expect Jesus to say. That we can never even imagine Jesus saying. And so we have this tension almost inside of us, because we're like, I can't believe Jesus just said that. Um, but there's this tension between him and the Jews as well. And it's going to keep growing. Um, you know, it... It starts to help understand how tense this situation is. We have to like not miss the, how it all begins. It says, as Jesus was saying these things, this is my last sermon, if you can remember back to that, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, what I find interesting about this is, I don't know if any of you remember my last sermon. It was a little bit ago. But um, after I preached my last, well, for one, as I preached it, I could feel like the tension here. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody messaged me afterwards and said, I think that was probably the most strongly I've ever heard the doctrine of original sin preached. And I said, well, I was just saying what Jesus said. So, so <laughs> Jesus gave you some words that made us all really uncomfortable and if you could imagine, when Jesus was speaking it directly to the Jews, things were even more uncomfortable, and he was actually kind of attacking them, saying, you're going to hang me on the cross, right? You're going to know that I'm the Messiah, and you're still going to reject me. And after that heart of a message, we read, many people believed in him. And then we read Jesus has some things to say to those people who believed in him. So the the Jews who believed in him, Jesus says some things to them. And the rest of this passage is all spoken to people 
who believe in Jesus. Now, there's some nuance to that. We'll have to get to that. But, but that's the tension here. And, and he starts off and he says, Okay, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And the word truly is really important because he's, Jesus is like distinguishing right away. He's speaking to a group of people who believed in him. And he said, okay, if you truly believe in me, if you're truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. And what he's doing is he's setting out right away that, that there are people who are going to say they are his disciples or say that they believe in him, but they're not actually truly his disciples. They don't actually believe in him. And that shouldn't really surprise us because we've already seen that throughout the Gospel of John. John, John shows that throughout where people believe in Jesus and then Jesus says, actually, I know your hearts. Um, so there's all there's false professions of belief, and so Jesus right away at the at the beginning when it says many people believed in him, he comes in and he says, okay, now if you really believe in me, you will abide in my word. If you're truly my disciples, you'll abide in my word, which is crazy because he keeps going on and then he says something. I mean, this is probably the most shocking thing that I hear out of Jesus' mouth, he looks at this group of people and he says, you're of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And the tension is, he's saying this to people who believed. And that's in quotes. Um, These are people who claim to be his followers. Like, if we're talking about, like, today... These would be people who are members of a church who would go around town willingly telling people, yeah, I'm a Christian, I I follow Jesus. And Jesus is saying to this group of people in front of him, he say, well, you may think you're a disciple of mine, you may think you're a child of God, but you're not. You're actually a child of the devil. Um. And that's tense. I mean, that's something where I'm like, I don't know if I would ever say that, that (laughs) bluntly to someone who's a member of a church. And And we hear that and we think, I can't believe Jesus is saying that. I thought he was gentle. But this is, this is clear. This is hard. And he goes on, he explains himself. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and your will, what you want to do is the same thing that your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. And and so Jesus, in, in a real brief sentence, is summarizing the the just core character of Satan. He said he, he's been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. Like this just who he is. That's what he does. And, and part of this is thinking back to Adam and Eve in the fall. Like what did he do with Adam and Eve? He lied and he led them astray so that they would die. <laughs> he's a liar and a murderer. He's been that way from the beginning. But he just, he's not like a nice guy that kind of does those things every once in a while. Like, at his core, he's a liar. 
He's not just a pathological liar. It's just what he is. He, he can't even speak the truth. No, no truth comes from his mouth. And every lie he tells is to lead people toward death because he's a murderer. He loves death. And so it, it kind of helps us understand if we recognize, like, this is the character of Satan. He's a liar and he's a murderer. Anytime you get in a situation where there's lies and death and destruction, you know that Satan's involved because that's who he is. That's just what he does. And so what Jesus starts to make the connection with this group of people in front of him, he says, okay, so, so who are you acting like? Are you acting like Abraham, whom you claim to be your father? Are you acting like God, whom you claim to be your father? Or are you acting more like Satan, who's the father of lies and the father of murder? Jesus says, well, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now, what are they doing? Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And I just love that is not what Abraham did. I wish I heard the tone of his voice, but like Abraham did not do those things. But, but what are the two things that Jesus says that they're doing? They're seeking to kill him, murder him. And they're rejecting the truth to embrace a lie. And he says, that's not our God. <laughs> that's Satan. He's a liar and a murderer, and you're, you're lying and, and murdering. That's what you're doing. So by your actions and by your words, you're showing that you're not a true disciple of Jesus. You're not a child of God, but you're actually a child of Satan. And then Jesus puts it even, even more starkly, I think. He says, you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he says... But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He says, I'm speaking to a group of people who can't stand to hear the words that I'm saying. Uh, I was thinking, you know, this is a super old line, but like, you can't handle the truth, right? I'm, I'm sharing it with you and you can't stand it. You can't, it just bothers at your core. You can't bear to hear it. And then Jesus says, what I think is even more stark, he says, because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Because he's speaking the truth, they don't believe him. Which means, if he was telling them lies, they would love him. They would believe him. But because he speaks the truth, they say, we don't, want, we don't want anything to do with that. And Jesus says, well, I can tell you who that is. You look much more like Satan than, than God the Father because you refuse to believe the truth. And, you know, it's a really stark picture, but I think it's helpful for us to, to recognize, especially, you know, we're going to leave worship. I mention this every week, right? We're going to leave worship. We're going to go out into the world, right? We live in the world. We live amongst people who do not believe in Jesus. And we are going to speak to them. And we're told not to lie to them. We're told to speak truth to people. And we're going to speak truth to a whole bunch of people who are not going to believe what we say. And, and what happens often is we'll speak truth to people 
and they won't believe it, and then we'll go home, and then we'll go, well, maybe I didn't say it rightly, maybe I wasn't clear enough, maybe I should have been nicer, maybe I should have been more winsome, maybe I should have used this strategy or this tactic, maybe it was my fault that they didn't believe. Maybe. But I think what this passage is teaching is some people are going to refuse to believe because you were effective in showing them the truth. And they saw the truth. And they refused to believe because you told them the truth and they saw it clearly. Not because you were incompetent. Um, It's actually not that hard to share the truth. Um, But people will reject it because it's the truth. And and Jesus says, the, the reason why you don't hear the words of God is that you're not of God. He says that that people who are not of God, people who are of Satan and the devil, is what he's saying. There's two people. They're, they can't hear his word. They can't, they can't stand it. They can't see it. They can't understand it. The only way that they can is if God does a powerful work in their mind, in their heart. He opens their eyes to see the truth for what it is. Uh, and until that happens... They will reject the truth because it's the truth. And then they'll do what? They'll continue to live by lies. They'll continue to follow the father of lies, the follow of murder. But Jesus goes on, he says, but whoever is of God, whoever God's done a work in their life, they hear the words of God. And then he says, and if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. All right? When God does a work, when he does a powerful work in people's hearts and minds and opens their eyes, they don't live by lies anymore, but they, they know the truth. Um, and they embrace, embrace the truth. And they, they abide in it. And abide is... Man, I could preach like a 10-sermon series on the word abide because it's, it's got so much to it. It's one of those words that has just a lot of meaning around it. It can mean to stay, to remain, to wait, to live, to sit down, to, to like keep on, to persevere. It has like all of those connotations. And you can tell if you think, put all those words together, what does it mean? Like, steadfastness. There's a long-lasting kind of connection when we talk about abide. And Jesus says, if you're truly my disciples, you'll have that kind of a relationship with my word. This kind of long-lasting, deep connection with my word. You're going to remain in it. You're going to sit in it. You're going to persevere in it. You're going to live it out. It's just going to kind of become part of who you are, you're going to keep following it. And, and this is in contrast, again, to what we've seen through a lot of the Gospel of John. When, when we've seen some of the, the false professions of faith that Jesus has talked about, it's been where people are saying, well, I like this thing that you said, but I don't like this thing that you said. And so they believe this part of his word, but Ah, that's too much, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with that. And then he says, no, if you abide in my word, you abide in all of my word. 
If you're truly my disciples, you abide in everything that I've said. You, you, you remain in it. You, you live it out. It, it's an all or nothing situation. You can't just pick and choose some of what Jesus said and reject some of what Jesus said. No, you, it's an all or nothing. Take it or leave it. And abiding is taking it, embracing it, um, living, living in it. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you abide in his word, you see it as truth, you live in it, you soak in it, he says, then you know the truth. You'll see clearly, you won't be stuck in lies, you'll know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And uh, another way to translate that would be, uh, if the sun sets you free, you will be truly free. Just like you would be truly one of his disciples. Um, but that also gives, as beautiful as that is, it, it gives a, a scary warning. Because if you can be, if he, Jesus feels it necessary to point out that you'll be truly free in him, it points out that there are people living in a fake freedom. They, they think they're free, but they're not free. They think they're free, but they're actually living in, in slavery. They're trapped. And, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's scary to me. That, that we can think we're living in freedom and actually be completely enslaved and be blind to it. Uh, but, but it happens. Um, that's what's happening in this passage, right? Jesus says, you, you need to be set free. And they say, we're free. We're children of Abraham. We're, we're children of God. We're free. And Jesus says, no, you're not free. You're enslaved. You're trapped even though you think you're free. He says, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. All right? That's the kind of slavery that he's talking about. Not some political slavery, not something like that. He's talking about in your heart, in your soul. And he says, when, when you practice sin, you're enslaved to it. You're trapped in it. You're stuck and you have no freedom in that. And yet, what's the temptation uh, that leads us into sin? What does the father of lies and murder tell us? If you do this, you'll have freedom. Why does he say that? Because he's a liar. That's all he can do. (laughs) And he's a murderer. He wants to get you entrapped and lead you to death and destruction. He wants to kill you. And so the promise that leads us into temptation to sin is always, you'll be free. And, and you might, and this is what the dangerous part, you'll experience freedom for a little bit. Maybe a moment, maybe even a day, a couple days, you'll experience just enough freedom to lock yourself in the cage. And uh, think about Think about the parable of the prodigal son, right? He, he goes to his father, give me my inheritance. Father gives him his inheritance. He goes off into a foreign land and lives freely, doing whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with all the money he wants, just doing whatever. 
No, he wasn't free, was he? He thought he was free. Eventually, he realized he was completely enslaved and stuck and had no freedom outside of his father's house. Think about, think about the lies we hear regularly today. I mean, you'll go home today. Maybe people are going to stop watching the Packers eventually, but, but you can keep watching them. You know, the Vikings aren't doing any better, so I'm not mocking, but you're going to go home, maybe watch some football or do something better with your time, but turn on TV, you're going to see commercials coming at you, and every one of those commercials is going to be promising you freedom. Every one. And it's not a real freedom. And, you know, I, I run into people on a regular basis who have been told, like, just go do whatever you want to do. Whenever you want to do it, that's freedom. Like, throw off the shackles and just do it. Like, go sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Whenever, just do that. That's freedom. You're free. It's not freedom. Completely enslaved in it, right? People, people go out and get drunk and high thinking, we're going to be free. We're going to let loose our inhibitions and just be free. It's not freedom. We know that. You're trapped in it. I talk to people who say, you know, I'm tired of all these people's expectations on me. I'm tired of people expect, I'm just going to focus on me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, when I want to do it, however I want to do it. I'm tired of all these people and I'm going to be free. It sounds like a Disney song. Free to be me. It's not free. It's complete slavery. You become enslaved to your own desires, your own needs, and you're trapped in it. And it's a slavery because it's enslaved. I mean, we have to say what it is. You're enslaved. You're trapped by Satan. He lied to get you into it. And he's going to kill you. Because that's who he is. And you're enslaved down a path that is going to completely destroy you. And yet Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you're really free. Not that fake stuff that Satan has to offer you, like real freedom. Freedom to live and move and act in the world and, and to like love every minute of living in that, in that freedom. You know, there's... I don't know, there's a million analogies that try to help us understand what it's like to have true freedom living in the world. And, you know, one of the analogies, because I don't like cliche analogies, I come up with my own, but one of them comes to me from my experience of living in Montana. And uh, I lived in Montana, I hunted in Montana for a long time, and hunting in Montana is very different than hunting in the Midwest, like in the Midwest, you like sit up in a cabin with watch the Packers game and eat some Cheetos and like shoot a deer out the window. In, in Minnesota and Montana, you're like hiking through the mountains and you're hiking everywhere. Like we would hike high, up, high enough up that, that like trees didn't grow there anymore. You were so high and you'd hike down ridge lines and you'd hike through valleys and, and there were certain valleys you just didn't go in because they were full of what 
they called blowdown. Like a storm would come through a valley, wind would come, and it would just knock trees down, like all over ranch. Kind of like, it's a really old game. But pick-up sticks, remember pick-up sticks? Like all the sticks, like that's what the trees were like in those valleys, and you just didn't go in there. Because you knew if you went in there, you could get trapped, you could get hung up, you could get twist and break your leg or break your ankle. Somebody will have to come and get you. They might get hurt. Like you don't go there because it's just full of obstacles and you can't make it. That's not freedom to be able to go in there. When, when you travel through the mountains, you travel on game trails where there's a path that's been laid out for you and it's been cleared for you. And then you can move freely through. But to try to walk through that gully with all the obstacles in it, you just stumble and bumble and get hurt and hurt people around you. That's not freedom. Being able to go wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do. It's, it's one of the beautiful reasons why when Scripture talks about it, it talks about we walk in paths of righteousness. Right? Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness because he's cleared the way for us. On every side are obstacles, every side are dangers, there's things to stumble and trip over on all sides of us, and, and it's not freedom to be able to wander off into the obstacles. Freedom is to, to walk down the path that God has given you, freely, joyfully, even be able to joyfully run down the path that he's created for you. That's what freedom is. And Jesus says, the only place you get that kind of freedom in the world is through him. Anything else is not true freedom. Anything else is like a fake freedom that will eventually enslave you and destroy you. The only true freedom is in him. And truly believing in him. Not just saying you believe in him, but truly believing in him. Putting your faith and trust in him and abiding in him. And when you do that, he says, then I'll take your feet, pull you out of the, pull you out of the pit you fell into, pull you out of the, the treacherous valley that you're in, and I'm going to put your feet on the path, and I'm going to strengthen you and help you walk. And as you get confused about where to go, I'm going to say, no, take a left here, take a right here, and I'm going to give you freedom in the world. And, and you get put on the path, and you're all beat up because you've been stumbling and bumbling through life, and you're hurt, and you're wounded, and you've got scratches and bruises, and he can heal all that stuff up, and he can give you strength and guidance and cleanse you and forgive you. And then he says, now walk in it. Because this is freedom. This is what's good and, and beautiful. He's the only one who can pull you out of slavery. And the only thing you have to do, repent and believe, right? That brings us all the way back to the Heidelberg Catechism early on. What opens the kingdom to you? Repent and believe. And then abide in Christ. And then you know the truth, right? And he says, and when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And as you follow Christ, then it's this long journey of like slowly being pulled out of the slavery that you've put yourself into. Now, I know, I've heard plenty of stories where someone put their faith in Jesus and they went from slavery to freedom in a particular area like this, right? I've known people who've been addicted for 20, 30 years, put their faith in Jesus and bam, 
They're free. And I've seen it in other sins too, but um, after 15 years of ministry, I could tell you that doesn't happen often. Often, it's a long, slow process of God pulling you out of slavery to a sin and bringing you into freedom, learning how to walk in it, learning how to follow him. And, and it's a process of just daily trusting in Jesus Christ, daily abiding in him, and daily abiding in his word, knowing that it's the truth that sets you free. And, and I want to end by saying that's why it's crucial, and you'll hear me say this every time I say it, daily in God's word. We, we kind of know daily trusting in Jesus Christ. That's true. But I'm saying connected with daily trusting in Jesus Christ is daily being in his word, saying, I need you to lead me today. Not just on like Sunday mornings aren't going to cut it. If it's only Sunday mornings, a couple times a week isn't going to cut it. Um, it has to be every single day in God's word. Because why? Because every single day you're going to be attacked and tempted to be led off into slavery, right? You're going to be tempted to believe the lies. That was, you know, at the end of our sermon series through the Lord's Prayer, we were told what? The world, the flesh, and the devil never stop attacking us constantly throughout the day. You're going to be tempted, tempted to believe the lie, tempted to wander off. In this. It's going to keep coming at you over and over and over again. And you need to be opening up God's word repeatedly saying, help me see the truth. Help me believe the truth. Guide me. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I don't know what to do right now. Help me. And you need to do it day after day after day after day. That's what it means to abide in Christ's word and to truly be his disciple. It has to be every day. Fighting lies, fighting temptation, trusting in Jesus. And so the encouragement is to to go home, read your Bible, trust in Jesus, read it every day, fight the lies that, that you're being tempted to, fight wandering off into slavery, Trust Jesus and trust that he'll set you free and do that today and then do that tomorrow and then do that the next day and then do that the next day and he will slowly pull you into this beautiful freedom that he has to offer you. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Uh, That's what it means to abide in his word. Uh, Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the way that you provide for us. We're thankful that you give us the truth. We're thankful that you're patient with us. We're thankful that you set us free. We're thankful that even when we were still sinners, you died for us to set us free. Father, we come to you, we confess that even though you hold out this promise of truth and freedom to us, we often try to trust in ourselves. We often reject the truth, believe the lie. We often choose slavery over freedom. We try to do what we want to do when we want to do it. 
we act like we're smarter than you. So, Father, we confess that. We ask that you would forgive us for that. And Father, we confess that we often just try to rely on our own strength and wisdom. That's why we don't come to your word, because we think we have it all figured out. We think we can do this on our own. And so, Father, we confess that to you. We ask that you would forgive us for that. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our self-reliance. Father, we ask for more than just forgiveness, though, because we know we need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your spirit to walk with us, to strengthen us, to guide us in this life. And so, Father, may your spirit fill us anew and strengthen us, empower us, grant us wisdom to live the life you've called us to live. Help us to see truth. Help us to reject lies, to embrace truth, and to be set free by you. And then help us to live that way each day, trusting in you, seeking your guidance, seeking your truth. And may we slowly, day by day, in the power of your spirit, experience the freedom that you offer us in this life, but as we long for the ultimate total freedom we will have when you come again and we enter into heaven with you. May we continue to look forward to that day and may you bring us there. And all God's people said, amen.